He's got a beautiful backswing. Dad! Oh, he got all of that one. Oh my gosh. That is amazing. Lay up with an iron into the hazard. Well, that wasn't quite what I meant, you know. What's up, everybody? Welcome into another edition of the 73rd hole, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Big day for golf in the state of Oklahoma. We'll get to that and much, much more. Head over to golfoklahoma.org where you can read about the Oklahoma State men and women and the Oklahoma men making it to the finals of the East Lake Cup. Great show coming up for you. We've got Ben Stoller joining us a little bit later. We'll also have the former athletic director at uh, Tulsa will be joining us later on in the show. So stick around as we've got some great stuff headed your way. But we have been informed this morning that Sam has a little mini rant to go on on a Wednesday as he walks in wearing an Eagles hat. It's probably the Eagles hat that's ruined your mood <laughs> on this Wednesday morning, if or, I had to guess. Or the Edmund Golf hoodie. What, what's going on this With, morning? How many championships is that since 94? 10? Well, I mean, that or was tw- just through... What a that was just through 2012. That's not updated. What happened between 1996 and 2005? Man, y'all suck. <laughs> <laughs> no, boys. So, I just want to talk about something real quick. All right. I go to the Thunder game last night, right? My first Thunder game of the year. Did they okay. win? They did not win. They nice. were leading a lot. Of they, the covered. they covered. They covered. A cover's even better than a win. Okay. But anyway, so I go to the Thunder game last night with my wife, Reagan. Okay. And they're playing Steph Curry, a healthy Steph Curry, probably the greatest shooter of all time, all right? And I look around the crowd. There's maybe, maybe 12,000, 13,000 people there, especially up in Loud City. There were sections with, like, two people in those sections. I don't think there were that many people there. I wonder if I can find the actual (laughs) attendance. I don't think there were that many people there. Dude, there were literally sections in Loud City, and especially in the club area that had, like, one, two people in them, okay? Here's where my rant starts. Let's start at the beginning, all right, (laughs) and talk about how spoiled Thunder fans are, okay? Because I know we're a golf show, but we have a big following in Oklahoma City, all right? Go back to the beginning. Ford Center. They build the Ford Center. Half the people didn't even want to pay the taxes to build the Ford Center because they said, why build an arena for a city with no team, all right? Well, then Hurricane Katrina happens, all right? which was extremely lucky for the city of Oklahoma City because they got the Hornets. And OKC was lucky that they had a rookie, Chris Paul, who ended up being a top five point guard of all time, okay? And the city rallies around them, and then we steal the Seattle Supersonics, who just happened to have Kevin Durant, who's a top five, top ten player of all time, and a rookie, uh, Russell Westbrook, who ended up showing the Thunder... And Oklahoma City, more loyalty than I've ever seen from any professional athlete in the history of professional sports. All right? And now that the Thunder are bad, or because you don't agree with some rule, first of all, you don't have to have a vaccine. You can have a negative COVID test, okay? And you are so soft and immature that you can't support the team that built your city because they're bad or you don't agree with some rule? Absolutely ridiculous, and OKC should be embarrassed. I would like to say, I am going to a Thunder game this year. I have tickets to Thunder Pelicans in December, uh, so I will be attending a Thunder game this year. I will not be attending 41 Thunder games. I will not be attending 31 Thunder games. Not 21, not 11. 
I will be attending a Thunder game in December. I might go to another one. You can get some cheap tickets. Because I was looking last night, and there were some cheap tickets for that game last night. You can sell like 10 rows from the floor for like 45 bucks. Yeah. Um, so there were some cheap tickets out there. Might have gone. We got foundation repair down at the house yesterday. A little more expensive than basketball tickets. We yeah. decided We decided to stay home and... I don't even know what we watched in, instead. Totally understandable. All I'm saying is you can go watch Steph Curry on the cheap and watch a young Thunder squad, and you can't you can't go. You can't support the team that built your city, and especially tonight. Watch. There'll be a big crowd for Russell Westbrook tonight. Then there won't be a good crowd the rest of the year because these people are so soft. You think it'll I'm be tired full? of it. You think it'll be full for no, us? I, no, it won't be full. You don't think it's for us? No, I don't think so. Oh, this city I think still too, has a lot of love for I us, think, No, man. but I think too many people are brainwashed about all this COVID stuff that I don't know. I think it's crazy. I think it's absolutely insane. And wherever you stand on this COVID debate, you can go get a negative test and go support your city. Were I think you, it's absolutely ridiculous. Were you there Sunday night for the home opener? I was not there for the home opener I was just, Sunday night. I, I was just wondering if there were more on. people there. Because all I can find is the average home attendance for the year. The average home attendance for the two games for the Thunder is 14,256. So they probably had more than, uh, probably had more than I would have thought. At but, the game last but night. My it, point it, is, looked, it looked emptier on the video that you posted, which, by the way, I mean, who took the video? Well, I was taking a video of the play, all right? And then I was like, well, I might just pan up. And I didn't I didn't edit it. You <laughs> okay. know how the service is in the, you know, yes. arena. It's not yes. the best. I just, and so I, I just gotta... posted the full video. But I wanted to give people at least a little visual. But it, I got to admit... Carson, Carson Cuddy and Mark Rogers, they, they sent me hilarious tweets that, like, Mark was like, was there an earthquake? Carson Cunningham said, Dad, what? Your video skills are embarrassing. I, was trying, I, only got like, I only got, like, halfway through it. I was getting motion sick. I only got, like, halfway through the video. Yeah. I mean, and it's weird, like, once you start panning over to the crowd, like, it, like once you start panning to the right from my seats, it just looks like your video in the Thunder Girls. So you can't, like, you can't spend that much time making the video steady. You don't look like a creeper. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, don't be a creeper. Yeah, it's easier to get caught videoing when there's 10 people in the arena <laughs> opposed to 10,000. <laughs> exactly. But, anyways, we have Bermuda this week, boys. You, you know what people in this state are more passionate about right now than the Thunder? The, the Eastlake Cup. Yeah. According, according to my Twitter, yeah. my social media, Bedlam. I, I totally agree. I, hey, I, hey, speaking of my Twitter last night, I tweeted out, I said, I'll take OU for a pizza. Do you guys want some? No, I love OU. Okay. So, so I told I you, I told I you last night. Win. I don't bet on OSU for happiness reasons. And here's here's my explanation. If Oklahoma State wins, I'm already going to be happy enough from that Bedlam win satisfaction that a pizza really, it's not going to increase my happiness really at all because I'm already going to be at a 10. Now, if OSU loses, I'll be bummed, but like, it's not the end of the world. I'll be at like a three or four. But if I then lose a pizza on top of that, that'll take me down to like a one. So winning the pizza wouldn't elevate my happiness levels any higher because I'm already on the high, but losing the pizza would make would make it worse. So I don't bet on Oklahoma State for that reason. I don't bet on their football team. Don't bet on their baseball team, their basketball team. Don't bet on their golf team. But I think uh, I think either way, it's 3-2. I don't think we're getting any 3-1-1s. I don't think we're getting a 4-1, a 5-0. I think either I just, way, it's 3-2. I'm just glad we get the Stark-McAllister match. That's going to be absolutely oh. electric. Stark McAllister. What a beautiful day to sit inside and watch golf. No doubt. It poured last night. Did it? I guess, yeah. <laughs> I was asleep. I mean, I heard it. I heard it whenever I like woke up at one point. I'm like, oh, it's pouring there down There was rain. a tornado at one point. What? Mm-hmm. Everybody, yeah, really. everybody yeah, good? Yeah, I think so. I, I'm not sure, actually. I know we're fine. but Everybody everybody drives safely at night. 
Yeah. Well, I, it also, was like 12.30. Also, can I say something? Tornadoes have turned into a night thing. And, I mean, there are some people who don't live in Oklahoma who are listening to this. Tornadoes are a very real part of our lives here in Oklahoma. And used to, I feel like, they were always during the day. So you could see these things coming. Lately, we're just watching the news at like 1030 at night, waiting to see if, if they can get a tornado on their radar because nobody can see it in the pitch black dark. And making the decision whether to feel like absolute crap the next day from staying up until 3 a.m. waiting on this tornado or just going to bed and taking the chance. Yeah. Are y'all, do storms bother y'all? No, I, I would be a storm chaser. I would love that. What, what about the wives? Do storms bother the wives for y'all? Well, my wife's from Moore, so yes. Yes, that makes sense. Um, bothers maybe not the right word, but it's it's like must watch television. Okay, so my my wife gets terrified for storms. So a couple weeks ago, the tornado sirens are going off at I don't know two thirty in the morning. Uh, whenever that one came through, and it it ended up going a little bit south of us. So my wife wakes me up. I don't hear it. Uh, my wife wakes me up. She's like smacking me. She's like, "You hear that?" And I'm I'm laying there in bed. I'm like, "Yeah." She's like, what are we going to do? I said, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> no. She's like, no, we have to turn the TV on. So we turn the TV on. It's like 2.30 in the morning. I'm exhausted. And they pull up the thing, and it's going a little bit south. I'm like, it's going south of us. I turn the TV off. I roll back over. She's like, she's like, what if what if it moves? I'm like, it's not going to move. We just saw it on the TV. Just go to sleep. Yeah. She's freaking we out. We had one but- like that. What was the one the other day that was going kind of by Edmund that was like at 5 o'clock in the morning yeah. or whatever? Yeah. And, and Reagan wakes me up she goes it's by lake arcadia remember she just moved to edmond so she's not really familiar where things are that's funny and she goes it's by lake arcadia i looked at her i go it's past us good night <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's good stuff that's good stuff anyways yeah. tornado season for all of our non-oklahoma listeners speaking about small crowds we got a small crowd at bermuda boys uh boy so most expensive on DraftKings in bermuda is maddie fitz shout out maddie fitz man most expensive, Matty Fitz. Uh, and then we go Sea Bezel, Christian Bezadenhut. <laughs> Mito Pereira is the third most expensive. Who's fourth? Followed by Patrick Reed at Use Golf Facts <laughs> on Twitter. <laughs> and then uh, next most expensive, I believe, was Seamus Power. Look, Boys, this I, is. I, I've picked, I mean, this is beautiful. I've had three straight weeks where I've picked a guy in the top two. The last two weeks, I've picked a winner. All right. Nice. If I pick it this week, oh, dude, I'm going to Vegas next week. I think I've got the winner. So, all right, both of y'all had this, the winner last week. We but, did. Hey, I by the way, another one. before we start that, I, I was wanting to talk about this. So basically, what happened here in Bermuda is they have a list, right, of about 340 guys with PGA Tour status, and that's how they fill these tournaments as they go down this list of what your status is, and that's how you get in the tournament. So. This week, a full field, by the way, is around 144. All right. This week, they have 132. Okay. And <laughs> so you went down the whole list of 340 guys and couldn't find 144 guys out of that. And so basically, instead of it going to the guys that were on tour last year that have full corn fairy status, they're just not filling out the field. What are your guys' thoughts to fill out those last 12 spots? Yeah, you, you have to give it to people. I don't see why you wouldn't. And, I, I mean, I don't understand. And the reason why they can't go to the Corn Ferry list is what they're saying is because Q School's going on. But I disagree with that. I say there's already guys with full Corn Ferry status. So just go off that. And, and T-Dub, you were talking on the phone with me, and you can make this point yourself, but you basically said 
the Corn Ferry is affiliated with the PGA Tour, so yeah, why not? Why would they? Why does the list end at three forty? Why can't you just keep going down the list? That's that's what befooled me. I was like, man, you go to the official World Golf Rankings. There's two thousand golfers in the world that are pretty right. darn good, and yeah. we can't fill the hundred and forty four person field. I guarantee you we can get hundred and forty four golfers that are pretty darn good who want to go play. And we know how good all the players are. I mean, like people who aren't playing, like like uh, Bob Gellerman, who's mm-hmm. on the uh, who's got full Corn Ferry status. I mean, right. um, if he, he was on pl- the PGA Tour last year, PGA Tour last year didn't make his card back. Okay, and so that means that he has. Full Corn Ferry status because he won on the Corn Ferry within the time frame of uh, a couple years ago now because of the COVID rule. But basically, yes, Corn Ferry's full Corn Ferry status was on the PGA Tour last year. He would be like number one on the list of if you kept going down. And so you're telling me that he can't get an opportunity to go play in Bermuda just because they're going through Q school right now? Well, go ahead. I was just going to say to me, it sounds like they've got this rule in place where you put these rules on paper, right? And you put them in the rule book, and that's the rule. And I don't think that they probably ever envisioned a time where they wouldn't be able to fill a PGA Tour field with 340 guys on the list. Look, it's never but, happened, and it will never happen again. It's just but, the, and, and now, and it, I do know that a lot of guys are not going um, because of the travel mandates to Bermuda. They're a lot. It's a lot tougher place to get to, and also it's just a smaller event, so you don't get the top half of those guys that normally. Play in yeah, the, events, the big right? guys weren't going to go anyway, exactly. but a lot of the smaller guys aren't going. Bermuda's a small, tiny island. They've yeah. got all their own rules yeah. and all that. But to me, this is a lack of flexibility from the PGA Tour because, yes, this is your rule. This is your list. But we're just going to have, you know, double-digit spots to a PGA Tour field go unfilled where a guy could really have a chance to go do something at this tournament. I mean, this is still a PGA Tour sanctioned tournament. We're giving away 500 FedEx Cup points. We're giving away a Masters invite. We're giving away a two-year exemption. And by the way, that two-year exemption, that's not counting the 21-22 season. It fully exempts you for the next two seasons after the one you're currently in. So if you win in the fall, that's even better because now you play the rest of this season and the next two years. There's a lot to play for here, and we're leaving double-digit spots unfilled. And to me, that's a lack of flexibility by the PGA tour i understand that this is your list that you go down if you go down that list and you can't fill the field then figure out the next best logical way to get the next most deserving players into this field so that we can have a full field for a pga tour event that's giving away everything that you would normally get at a pga tour event I mean, you mentioned earlier, Colby. Who was third most expensive on DraftKings? Mito Pereira? Mito Pereira. You're telling me that Bob <laughs> Gellerman can't go beat Mito Pereira for 72 holes? Uh, I mean, he could, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, he could go. Any of the 12 guys who could get in this tournament couldn't, could easily go out and win. I yep. don't. And even if you don't want to go off PGA Tour rankings, go on the World Golf rankings and see, okay, well, who's the best European players that we don't have invite? Let's give them sponsors exemption. Let's call them. Let's call some college players. Let's try to get them down. I mean, J.R. Smith. Try to get J.R. Smith. Try to get Tony Co- Romo. Players. There are Steph some- Curry. Gosh dang. <laughs> get, get, get Charlie Woods in the field. <laughs> get T-Dub in the field. Get Charlie Woods. Or get Ben Stoller in the field. I, I mean, expand the field. Expand the field. I uh, We do have some local it's guys crazy. in the tournament. By the way, did anybody else chuckle? I didn't realize Patrick Reed was in the field. I so- think he was a late entry. Was it a late entry? I think so, because okay. I don't think he was in the field whenever I first looked. Because I was so let's the Kings. field right now, T-Dub. You got it? Oh, yeah, oh, the field. Oh, oh, I looked it up last night because I was like, <laughs> I, I had to know. Both okay. of y'all go for it. Colby. Oh, dude. 69. I was thinking in the 60s, too, but I don't know whether to go higher or lower. I'm going to go 52. 
It was lower, but it was not by much. 68. Wow. 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 That's... 68 strength of field. For comparison... See, if we can let one more good player in, we can have a strength of field of 69. <laughs> we, we were joking about the strength of field last week. It was 255. Yeah. And Zozo. Yeah. And, yeah. We, and we were clowning that field. Here's a good question for you guys. How many players in the top 100 in the rankings are playing this week? Oh, boy. Matty Fitz, Patrick Reed. Uh, Guido. I'm trying Mariozzi. to think if Pereira would be. Uh, C. Bezel would I'm be. I'm going to say eight. I'm going to say... There's, and then there's probably one or two others that are a little further down. I'm going to say five. Sam was right with eight. Here's a better question. How many are in the top 50? Okay, so that's just going to be three. Reed, C. Bezel, and Fitz. Three. Yep. Yeah. Three players in the top 50 playing. Oh, wow. And, that's and, brutal. And, and to y'all's point about... Are, and are any of those guys in the top 30? Um, yeah, Reed's 24 and Matty Fitz is 26th. Okay. And, wow. you know, just to go on the point earlier that, that Sam was making, I mean... If you're going to expand the PGA Tour to be globally like you like we are now, I mean, obviously no one can expect a pandemic to happen, but you would have to think at some point you're going to play a tournament somewhere that people don't want to go to. I mean, you would have to think that you would have to make the list as long as you possibly can. I don't. That makes no sense to me. Yeah, I don't get it. <clears throat> I don't get. Well, and you have your list, but there has to be some flexibility if you don't fill the field. That's my only thing. Like, okay, right. the field didn't fill. The field didn't fill <laughs> with the list that you had originally. That's tongue twister. Uh, anyway, why don't we rifle through our DraftKings lineups All right. real quick before we uh, give a call to Ben Stoller, one of the best juniors in the state of Oklahoma, 6A state champion, and won the Red River Shootout over the weekend. Uh, we'll talk to him here in just a few minutes. I'll start at 7,100. I'm going to go with Anurban Lahiri because why not? Strength of field 68. I'm going Anurban Lahiri at 7,100. All right. Well, my lowest on DraftKings is Max McGreevy at 6,700. Hey, shout out Max. So Max Lo- local guy. Yeah, Max McGreevy, obviously new on tour. I think that uh, you might see a, a guy that's newer on tour win this week. And Max McGreevy, you know, especially at 6,700 is perfect for DraftKings to me. Yeah, I, I had to do a little tweaking I here mean, this field I- is probably, you know, not as strong as some of the Corn Ferry fields they played in. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of guys from the Corn Ferry who've been in here. I mean, you, you throw in Fitz, you throw in Sebez, you throw in Reed. Like, that gives a little more top end that you would see on a Corn Ferry. But, but there's, other gra- there's other guys like Creel and other guys, I'm sure there's more that aren't even going that were on the Corn Ferry last year. Yeah, you're probably right. You're probably It'll, right. It's probably a little stronger than a Corn Ferry field, but not much. Yeah. All right, I got to go with just my original because I was trying to tweak it and it didn't go very well. So I'm going to go with the same 6,700. Give me Max McGreevy. I think I think he's going to make the cut. This strength of field is not that good. Someone under sub 700 or 7,000, I mean, I think will make the cut. I'm going to ride with. Then my next pick, 7,300. Give me a guy who's been playing pretty good on the European tour. Give me Aaron Rye. I think that he's going to have a good week this week. He finished 25th in his last European tour start across the pond, so I think he'll carry that with him this week. Just outside the top 100 at 109. Wouldn't be surprised. you probably get some decent value on him to win. Okay. Well, then I'm going 7,000. I'm going Ludwig Aberg, a guy that we saw at Big 12's Texas Tech, a guy with loads and loads of talent. Like I said, I'm going younger guys this week, mostly, and I think that you know, there could be some guys in that general skill level slash newer guys that could play really well in Bermuda. 
Uh, yeah, that's a good one. I'm going to go 7,200. Give me Sepp Straka because it's a Bermuda Championship. Why not? And then at 7,300 is my next pick. I didn't think I'd have any overlap here. I've got Aaron Rye at 7,300. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And you want to know why? Because the Bermuda Championship. I thought you were going to say Rye. Because <laughs> so the Bermuda right. Championship, 7,300. All right. Well, I'm going with uh, 7,100. Davis Riley. Ah, Davis Riley. You are going with some, the young guys. Played some really good golf. Obviously played at Alabama. Played some junior golf with Davis Riley. Great kid. And I think that, like I said, I just have a feeling this week that these guys are all going to play well and they're going to feel more at ease in Bermuda. Like it's not, oh, I'm playing on the PGA Tour this week. It's going to feel more like the Corn Ferry Tour to them. It's either going to be that or they're going to be like, I'm 22, I'm in Bermuda. And have a couple of yeah. ice cold beverages, a couple of my ties, some, some, some or sand between your toes. And I'm not talking about bunkers. Yeah, so could go one way or the other. Yep. Never been to Bermuda. Looks beautiful. Man, I tell you what, I was. Where able- is Bermuda? Bermuda is in the Atlantic Ocean. You get off the coast of like, like Florida, Georgia, like Cuba? and you go east. No, no it's, it, like, it's like in the middle of. The it's Atlantic like in the Ocean. middle of the Atlantic. Like you, you. Like Georgia, South Carolina, you just go straight east. Oh wow! Several hundred miles. Now look, at and the then you hit Bermuda. It's it's a tiny little island set in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, totally by itself. Gotcha. It's not even it's not Caribbean. It's it's weird. And I would have thought that it was Caribbean until last year when we previewed this tournament. And Taylor and I had the same conversation and googled Bermuda and found it on the map. And See, it's a tiny little is, island. Sam. See, look, it's basically parallel with oh, like South Carolina. Well, yeah. speaking of Bermuda okay. Triangle, you know who's in this tournament. Who's that? Luke Donald. Where'd he go? <laughs> Where did he go? <laughs> Hashtag how high. <laughs> Hashtag how high, Luke Donald. Number Tyler, one. Tyler, Wait, give me your next pick. He was number, number one in the world. Yeah. Why am I <laughs> I didn't sleep very good last night. Y'all gotta cut me some slack. All right, I was able to make the tweaks I needed to, so I'm going a little bit reverse here. I got someone less than 73 because I switched it out. Going 6,900, give me Adam Svensson. Was a really good player in college. Played with him a little bit, and... I think that he's going to make the cut as well. So then I was able to get the guy that I wanted because he plays good like three times a year and it's on greens that he likes. Give me Denny McCarthy, 8,500. He's played oh, good at this okay. tournament and I'm going to ride with it. Conditions may get tough. That putter's going to be able to carry him. I really wanted Denny McCarthy in my lineup and uh, there's not very many, many weeks on the tour that I say that. That's a grand slam pick right there. Oh, I see what you did there. <laughs> see what you did there. All right. Well, I'm going 7,500. Austin Eckroat. Nothing more needs to be said. I think you get the theme of my DraftKings. We definitely do. I'm going to go uh, Brandon Hagee at 7,300 because he's a long bomber and because it's the Bermuda Championship. And then my next pick. Colby, what tournament is it? It's the Bermuda Championship. Okay, just making sure. (laughs) I'm going to – and then I'm going to jump from 7,300 to 10,400 for my next pick. We'll go Patrick Reed. It's just – I got Patrick Reed, too. I mean, there's a, there's a significant talent gap from Patrick Reed to some of these other guys. Maybe he doesn't Agreed. put it together, but Patrick Reed has proven that... He could play some he, bad golf and still make the cut. He can be one of the best players in the world. So, in a strength of field 68, I'll I'll just run him out just because it's the Bermuda Championship. Hey, does the, does the uh, cut... Is there a lower number for the cut since there's not as many guys? That's a good question. I would guess not. Probably not. Yeah, because it's still... PGA Tour is not real flexible. <laughs> That's a good point. 65 and tops. We know that. So my next pick, guys, 9,500. This is a guy who's going to win on the PGA Tour at some point, and if he's going to do it, it might as well be. What tournament is it again, Colby? It's the Bermuda Championship. Okay, just making sure. Um, Shriners Championship, this guy finished T14 and obviously played really good on the Corn Ferry Tour. I believe he was led the Corn Ferry Tour, at least top five. Give me Chad Ramey, 9,500. Oh. On the DraftKings deal, it says he made 42 of 46 cuts, and I about fainted when I saw that. I mean, that's just unbelievable. And then my most expensive, give me the guy, if I had to bet he would win the tournament, I think he's the best player in the field by far, 1,100 Matty Fitz. 
That's my winner of the tournament as well. Maddie fits at 11. See, that's your problem, Sam. He jumped on my train now, and it's due to it's due to derail. Y'all ready for my winner of the tournament? It's not Maddie Fitz. Is it Reed? 10,500, Mito Pereira is my winner of the All golf right. tournament. Came close five, six weeks ago, something like that. Really good player on the Corn Ferry Tour. Get after it, Mito. 10-5 for a reason. That, folks, is the Bermuda Championship. Over, under on how much Bermuda Championship you guys watch. Um, good question. I'm trying to think what I'm doing this weekend. If I'm going to be home, Saturday's college football, Sunday is NFL, Friday, 0.5 holes. What kind of time zone is Bermuda in? I got to look that up. That's a good question. It's got to be two. Is there another? Got to be two to the east of here, I would think. Atlantic time zone? Got to be two to the east of here. Because like the middle of the Atlantic Ocean can't be the same time zone as New York. I wouldn't think. Well, what's the difference between the east coast and London? Five hours? Five hours, yeah. Or four. No, five. Five. I can't find the time zone. Eh. I'm looking for it. But basically, oh. I'm not going to be real invested in the Bermuda Championship. <laughs> Unless we get some local guys like a okay, okay, yeah, Ekro. It's, yeah. it's, um, it's two hours ahead. So okay. one hour ahead of Eastern. Okay. So if, if Ekro and McGreevy are in the final group coming down the stretch on Sunday, I'm in. I'm in. What about Matty Fitz versus Patrick Reed? <laughs> Your I'd two watch, favorite I'd watch golfers. That. I'd probably watch Matty Fitz and Patrick Reed. <laughs> Mr. Skill and Mr. Cheat. I'd, it'd, it'd be on the second screen. NFL's going to be on the front screen. Yeah. Also, I might have to go to a gender refi- reveal on Sunday. I forgot about that. Uh, and yeah. Sunday's Halloween. Uh, yeah, Sunday is Halloween. We already did going Halloween. On. We already did Halloween. Yeah. yeah. Supposed to have another yeah. Halloween party Saturday night, but OSU Kansas is at 6. <laughs> and apparently I'm going to OSU Kansas. Are, yeah, so. are y'all's neighborhoods fun. big on trick-or-cheating? Treating? Do the kids come by? We yes. get, yeah, we get some some good trick or treaters coming through. You got a lot of minions come by your house, Sam? No, because I turn the light off and watch football. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it is on a Sunday. Is it? You think you think kids are going to trick or treat Saturday or Sunday or both? Saturday, I'll I'll be working. I guess I can say this now. Can you? Yeah. Fire away. I'm going to be doing the producing for the Thunder Games this yes, year. Yes, sir. For the sports animal. Yes, sir. WWLS. So, which button do you press to pump in the artificial crowd noise? <laughs> I'm not going to be at the arena. It's the it's the WWLS radio though. No, that's what I'm saying. You got to have a button on the soundboard to pump in the crowd noise since there's no crowd. <laughs> I guess we'll have to find out. So you're people be listening on the radio talking about, man, this crowd is raucous tonight. <laughs> so you're working with the legend okay, Matt Pinto. See. <laughs> yeah, so. Matt Pinto. Matt Pinto's been. Has he? Is he the only voice they've had on the radio? Yeah, I mean, and he's the absolute best he? at it. Too. Oh, he's great. Yeah, he's great. I'm just trying to think when the Thunder got here. That's 12, 13 years. Yep. Probably going into his 14th season, I would guess. SGA drive just assassinated at the rim. No foul. Boom. <laughs> Boom. Cha-ching another Thunder Money Ball. Cha-ching the Thunder Money Ball. <laughs> I love it. Oh, so good. So, so good. Uh, all right. East Lake Cup predictions today. We've got Bedlam on the men's side. We've got Oklahoma State and Duke on the women's side, which obviously I'm no issue homer. I don't think that's any secret. I tagged the OSU Cowgirl Golf Program in our, our gender announcement because uh, she's headed that way in about 18 years. But I think it's pretty freaking cool that OU know, or that OSU has the men's and women's teams in the championship on for the East Lake Cup on Golf Channel today. And I think they both have a great chance to get it done. I do too. And also, before we get to our predictions, I just want to say I watched some of the golf yesterday, and these kids were hitting. I, I don't know what the wind was doing on number fifteen, but it they were misclubbing by like four clubs. Got? Did you see gutter ups? 
I didn't see Goddard up. So I saw Goddard up. Uh, was like, it was either a missed club or he just ballooned at it. But I mean, when Versich and Dow both hit it in the water, yeah. and then Versich gets it up and down, I'm I'm thinking, oh no. So so 15 to Bay Hill is kind of the iconic par three. East Lake. East Lake. What did I say? Bay, Bay Hill. Hill. Okay, East Lake. Yeah, it's the East Lake. <laughs> you, you got Arnold Palmer and Georgia mixed up. The East yeah. Lake Cup. Bobby Bay Jones. Hill. Yeah, the East Lake <laughs> Cup at Bay Hill. Yeah, at East Lake in Atlanta, it was playing 195 for the men, 139 for the women, and actually Oklahoma State women only won three to two over Arizona. And they had a match go to a playoff, and I love that that's the playoff hole. That's, that's where they electric. went for the 19th, was to 15 tee box. Isabel Fierro steps up and hits it to 10 feet. She's playing against a freshman. Just chunks the hell out of it. Great, 30 great, yards short in the water. Great shot by Drew Goodman on that hole. Oh, yeah. To basically close out Nails. his match. If, if Nails. you get a ball in the green on that hole. What'd you say? What's the difference? 195 to 139? Yeah. What's, so, I mean, obviously, boys and girls are different, but we'd be hitting a, a wedge yeah. or nine iron compared to a five iron or well, six iron? Well, but also the way that hole is laid out, because the men's tee box, it's all over water. So, the men's tee box is way back by the road, and then you have to, like, go around so there like while you're walking around. The thing there wouldn't be anywhere like there's nowhere at 160 where you could put a women's tee box yeah. because it's water. The next available place for the women's tee box is yeah. 140. But it wasn't just Dal and Versich that hit it in the water there. Hitchner for Pepperdine hit it in the water there as well. And got, he's the got guy that won, the, the water. won the transmiss. Yeah, got yeah. her up. Won I his guess, match. Hit in the water. Or, no, lost his match one down. No, but he was making a heck of a yes, comeback he was. though because he was like three down and then he got it back. To one down. That's right. Yeah. It was it was a great match. And but by the way, boys, before we get to our predictions, uh, USGA and RNA came out with a big uh, announcement yesterday that they're making AM status the same as the NCAA's rule uh, for amateur status. Me and Colby were reading up on this a little bit earlier. Kind of give them the details, Colby. Yeah, it's, it's similar to the other. It's... It's tough to uh, always follow what they're doing with the amateurs. They try to lay it out as clearly as they can. Uh, players now will only lose their amateur status if they accept a prize uh, with a value exceeding more than $1,000, but that's only in tee-to-hole competitions. That doesn't apply to long drive, putting, and skills competitions. Uh, if you play as a professional, you'll lose your amateur status. I think that one's pretty obvious. Uh, if you accept payment for giving instruction, you will lose your amateur status. Which is ridiculous. But... There are current exceptions, such as coaching at educational institutions and assisting with approved programs. So I guess there's that. Um, And then accepting employment as a golf club professional or membership of an association of professional golfers would would lose your amateur status as well. So the. The only things that because should still be, be on there are number two and four. Pro. Oh, my yeah. bad, Tito. Yeah, I was just going to say, yeah, if you, if you join the PGA, you essentially are a golf pro. Yeah. And yeah. then play as a professional. But, I mean, I guess the only thing, those are declaration things. So, I mean, but you have to have something in there. You can benefit make- off your likeness now. Yes. So, what's the dude that always plays and all the, the older guy? Uh, Hagestad? Hagestad! <laughs> Stuart! <laughs> He's pumped. <Gosh. laughs> Stuart Hagestad. I mean, eliminating all advertising expense-related and scholarship restrictions. I mean, I guess that's good. Um, The prize... So can Hagestad get paid by a company now since he's on the Ryder Cup and or Walker Cup, excuse me? I guess. uh, Expenses, yeah. That should be. I guess, yeah. Wow. Distinguishing between... uh, I don't know about the whole Hagestad thing. I don't know how I feel about it. (laughs) I don't either. It's weird. I like it. He's like 40 it's, taking spots in the Walker Cup from college kids because he won't declare for, as a professional so he can play in the mid-am. It gives me hope because I can always sit back and be like, if I really tried, I can do that. <laughs> yeah, that yeah, is same. true. He's, he's, he's an inspiration to everyone. But the, no, the, the I'm totally on the joking, Walker by Cup the way. Team. That is way harder than it looks. <laughs> Whoa. God, yes. So God, yes. Here's one thing I'm reading. Distinguishing between scratch and handicap competitions in terms of the prizes may be accepted. What the hell does that mean? That means... Um, 
scramble. That they're just going to make it up as they go along. They're just <laughs> going to make it up as they go along. That's what I'm reading. All right. Let's, so, uh, predictions. Predictions for Eastlake Cup today? Yep. Three mm. and two. OU. I'll go three and two OSU on the men's side. I'll go four one on the women's side. OSU. They beat Duke five zero in in May at Greyhawk. Three and a half, one and a half. I'll go four one OU. Four one OU. All right. Yep. All right. And Can't I think wait. that I think that one might be Stark. Stark McAllister is going to be, but it's big just time. because it's just a a heavyweight. Who's battle. Chikara playing? Chikara got uh, got her up because that'd be pretty darn good too. No, got her up's playing. Um, Chikara's Newman. got Dowell. Yeah, got her up and Newman are in the anchor match. If Dow, if Dow can win that first match, OU's going to win. Yeah, if he beats Chikara, that would be bad for Oklahoma State. Yeah. I yeah. find it interesting that they're alternating between men and women teeing off. That's pretty cool. Yeah, they did that yesterday, too. Did they? It's mm-hmm. slow down play. Um, yeah, I don't know if it did yesterday or not. Because they were the way they were doing the cameras is like they were focused on the OSU women's match whenever those were closing out because the men closed out early. And then they switched over to the men. So I don't know, I don't know what it did yesterday. I'll take OSU in the women's. Yeah, they beat Duke 5-0 at, at Greyhawk. So, uh, all right, East Lake Cup coming up later today. It is time now for us to welcome one of the best juniors in the state of Oklahoma to the program, Ben Stoller, joining us here on the 73rd hole out of Owasso. Ben, how you doing? We appreciate you taking a few minutes today. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, guys. Absolutely, absolutely. So, big win this past weekend down at Windstar. Now, that was, if I'm not mistaken, a three-way playoff. So, uh, I'm assuming the playoff was sudden death. How many holes did that take? Uh, what were you feeling like as you went through that playoff? Yeah, it was sudden death. It took uh, it took two holes. Um, it was actually it was kind of weird. The first playoff hole was kind of basic. It was a reachable par five. Um, and we all hit it on in two. I had, like, about 30 feet free when we all two-putted. Um, we went back to the tee again. We were playing the hole again, and um, all three of us hit, hit our tee shots. One of them put it in the um, tall fescue, and we couldn't find his ball. And right as he was about to drop, it started pouring, and they called us in for lightning delay, and that lasted about an hour. <laughs> oh, um, and so we had to sit there for about an hour um, and then go right back out. And I hit – I was the last one to hit. And I had about 195, hadn't hit a ball in an hour. Um and I just was like, look, like, it's not that difficult of a golf shot. It's only 195, and I hit six iron to about 12 feet, and um, ended up winning on that hole. So it was it was pretty good. I've been in I've been in a few playoffs in the past, and I kind of just you know go back on my how many hours I've put in on the range and stuff, and be like, look, nobody's outworked me. This is this is just another hole of golf. You know, Ben, when we, when we first met you, we were up at uh, Forest Ridge watching you win the 6A uh, championship. What has your life been like since winning that tournament? It's been awesome. Um, it's been crazy, uh, especially like you go around town and everyone kind of knew me because we once stayed as a freshman as a team. Um, but since I was the first individual, it was pretty cool. I, I keep getting people come up and be like, hey, you're the individual state champion. And I'm like, yeah. And so we have good conversations about that. Um, and then it was awesome. I'm lucky that Owasso, they, I got to go on the field for our second it was either our second or our third game, and I got my ring, and it's just been awesome since then. It's also been a huge mental piece for it, knowing I can go out and perform on a stage like that. Um, and so that was a big help. Ben, there are some great names on that Red River trophy, such as Colton Staggs, Taylor Moore, Mason Overstreet, Lakin Hinton. Uh, and then there's some guys that never won the Red River, such as Jordan Speeth and Taylor Gooch. What does it feel like to have your name on that trophy and maybe do something that guys that have done great things in the game of golf haven't even done? Yeah, it feels awesome. Um, I know I've, this was my fifth time playing it, and the last two years I came up 
I think like fourth in the last year. I finished runner up both times to Andrew Goodman. And I remember Goodman telling me, he's like, dude, he goes, you can win this thing. It's not that difficult. And I was like, thanks, man. You won it three times. Doesn't mean it's not that difficult. Um, but it's awesome. I mean, it was definitely a big goal of mine. I wish we could have, as a team, won, but um, it was definitely pretty awesome. So it's going to be something that I'll build upon for some time. So. Yeah, no doubt. And this was the first year that wasn't played at Dornick. It was actually played at the Scissor Tail course down at Windstar. Uh, what did you think of the course and just kind of the different venue for the event? Yeah, it was definitely a lot more different than Dornick. Um, you know, Dornick kind of has that historic kind of just vibe around it. Um, Windstar did a really good job. I know with the winter kill, it was kind of difficult for them. Um, they had some newly sodded areas on the greens and some newly sodded fairways. And I think that was part of the reason why the golf course played a lot tougher than it would have seemed. Um, because I know, especially for me and a few other dudes I know on the Oklahoma team, we all kind of hit the ball generally high, even, you know, if it's a little windy. Um, and with the fairways being damp because they were continuing to water with them being sawed, um, we got a ton of mud balls the entire weekend. And so that was definitely part of, like, you had to adjust, um, especially that second round. I pretty much hit a lot of almost driver off decks to keep the ball from really coming in with too much height on it. Um, but it was, it was honestly, it was a really good venue. They did a great job of hosting, um, and it was awesome. The only thing that was kind of different between that and Dornick was, you know, at Dornick, how everyone will kind of come around the 18th green, it'll be a couple hundred people. Um, well, the 18th green at Windstar is about a half a mile away from the clubhouse, and so there was probably, there was about 50 people around it, but it wasn't quite the same as uh, it had been in the past at Dornick, so. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely a good point because at Dornick, there's everyone gathers right by the the clubhouse 18 green right there, and it can be lo- loud as an amphitheater, really. And you know, Ben, yeah. I'm, I'm looking at the leaderboard here, and I see that there was 12 players within three shots of the lead. Obviously, it was a, a three way playoff that you wanted, but did you realize it was that tight of a race coming down the last few holes? Yeah. So luckily, this year we've all changed to no scorecards; it's all live scoring. And uh, I'm not gonna lie, I was on hole 13 which is a or hole 12 it was a short par four and I had a good drive and then fluffed a wedge shot from like 40 yards and had to get up and down from short side and I looked at the scoreboard and I was like man this I was like five back at that point and uh I had driven it into the fringe on 10 which was a drivable par four and made par um it went to 13 which I was probably one of the few kids on that hole that I could get to in two is a long par five back into the wind about 570 and I had 275 in and hit a great three wood and got an unlucky kick um it settled for par and I was just like man you know that was a few holes in a row that I've missed golden opportunities and 14 was not an easy hole it was a kind of a short-sighted pin not an easy key shot especially for me the whole bends from right to left um and I'm a cutter and I was just like look gotta hit a golf shot and I threw a wedge in from about 140 to about eight inches um, tapped in for birdie, knocked it into the fringe on two on the next par five, um, and made par. So that was a big thing. But yep. then definitely on, sorry, I'm going through the holes. Um, 16, that was a big, I hadn't made a putt the entire time. Um, my longest putt I made all day was about four feet and we got to 16 and I made about a six foot down the hill slider for par. Um, and then 17, I looked at the scoreboard and I realized a few dudes had made bogeys um, and it was a very tough part three and I double crossed my tee shot with the five iron from 190 into the wind. It was short sided, hit a good chip shot, rolled out to about 20 feet, nothing I could do 
and I made the putt for par. It's the only putt I made all day, really. Um, made a par in 18, realized that another kid had made bogey, um, and there was going to be a playoff. So it was definitely looking at – it was very nice having the advantage of looking on your phone and being like, hey, I'm not out of this tournament. Because I, I don't think if I would have made par in 13 and not been able to see that stuff, I probably would have been like, yeah, I'm probably six, five, six back at this point. So. Yeah, Ben, obviously the head of the OJGT, Maury Rose, uh, is your team leader. And, and throughout the years, Maury Rose has done a lot of great things to help junior golf. Uh, just speak a little bit about Maury and your experiences with him. He's the best. There's just no other way to explain it. He He's one of the few tournament directors that truly cares about every player. Um, you know, I, we still say it every time we, I see him. It doesn't matter what tournament it is. It doesn't matter if I went out and shot 90 that day or if I went out and shot 60. Uh, he he still says, as I say goodbye to him, he says, love you, and I say love you back. You know, you don't get that many tournament directors. So he's the best. Um, there's just no other way to explain it. Yeah, Maury's the greatest. And for all of our listeners, by the way, we'll have an episode with him uh, dropping on Friday just talking about the state of junior golf in the state of Oklahoma. Uh, now, Ben, you are committed to Kansas State. We understand it is just about time to put pen to paper. So what are you doing for your signing? Uh, I'm just signing at the high school. I'm having a bunch of people come. There'll probably be about 80 to 100 people there and stuff. And so it's going to be fun. Just not doing too much. I'll probably have a few people over after that night, and we're just going to have a good time. So um, nothing too crazy. Ben, do you get more compliments on your golf game or your hair? <laughs> uh, definitely my hair. It is probably the most speaking point. Whenever I'm playing around a golf with someone new, they – they ask me a question about it all the time. I actually just got it cut yesterday. Oh, um, man. Cut oh, or no. trim? I was going to say, define cut. Okay, I cut I cut three inches off the back, but it's still down to my shoulder, so it's, <laughs> it's still long. So I trimmed up the top quite a bit and cut the sides down. My, uh, my mom's been begging for me to get it cut, and especially with my signing coming up. she uh, It was kind of forcefully, hey, you need to get it cut. So um, it got trimmed up a little bit. When was the last time you cut it before then? Actually, my hair grows very quickly. I cut it back in like August. Man, um, wow! So I'm, yeah, I'm the opposite. I still... I, my hair doesn't grow at all. So good for you, Ben. Very jealous. <laughs> grow it while you yeah. still got it, Ben. Hey, so, I will. So Colby mentioned K State, and obviously we have a great player on tour that went from Oklahoma to K State, and Robert Streb. Have you had, have you had a chance to talk to Robert Streb, and um, also just talk about why you picked K State and over some other schools? Yeah, so. I've actually, it's kind of crazy, you know, I'm a member of the Patriot in Owasso, and we're the home of the Folds of Honor, which hosts the Patriot Cup, and Strive usually comes and plays that every year. Um, and I was actually, I think I was like a caddy for someone in his group, and I was like eight or nine. Um, and so I've actually, I've talked to him a few times, um, and one of my good friends who's at K-State is a freshman on the team. He plays at the same golf course that Strive plays at, and, uh, I haven't really talked personally to Streb, but he has, the coach has said a few things to him and he said a few things back to the coach about me, but it was definitely kind of cool. You know, he went from Edmund North up there and stuff. So it's kind of, hopefully it'll be a similar path to the PGA tour. So, but now with K-State, it was, it was almost kind of destiny. Like both my parents went there. Um, my dad graduated from there and, uh, they, they just bleed purple. I bleed purple. I mean, I've grown up my entire life wearing K-State stuff, tuning for everything. I mean, this is kind of crazy, but the amount of times I've had to yell at the TV during a K-State basketball or football game, it's countless. So it was going to be a really hard decision. 
um, the opening day that coaches could talk to me. The first phone call I had was with Coach Robbins, and he goes, look, you know, we're all in on you. You're the only player we want, and this is your offer. And I was blown away. And that was kind of how it was the entire recruiting process. He kind of just made me feel more wanted than any other program did. Um, and whenever I got down to my last four schools, you know, K-State was the uh, lowest ranked of the four. And I looked to my dad, and I was like, you know, Hawassa's always been an underdog. I kind of was an underdog growing up as a junior golfer. I really liked that role. And that was a big thing for me. And that was part of the reason why I chose him. And another reason, um, whenever I was like seven, eight, nine, ten, you know, you're playing U.S. kids tournaments and stuff. And you're like, you know, I have a dream. My dream then was to be on the K-State golf team. That was my brother's dream. He couldn't quite get there. And I always, like, that was a big goal of mine. And so whenever I started playing really good golf and getting noticed by some of the bigger schools, the dream kind of went away. Then whenever I was like, man, what got me here? And I looked back and I was like, that's, that's the spot I need to go. And our facilities are great. The coaches are phenomenal. And the guys on the team are some of my best friends already. So it's going to be a blast once I get up there. Yeah, Ema, you got you to gotta tell everyone what Ema means. Ema, every man a wildcat. I, okay, I never knew what Ema meant. I see people tweeting it out during football, all this. I never knew what Ema meant. Every man yeah. a wildcat. So just out of curiosity, um, what were the other three schools? Uh, it was Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and Illinois. Okay, very nice, very nice. Yes, sir. Bleed purple, you got to get after it. Uh, ben, I will. Yeah, we appreciate you taking a few minutes. Congrats on the 6A state title. Congrats on winning the Red River. I know you've got more bright things in your future. Uh, we'll definitely catch up with you down the road and wish you all the success. Perfect. Thank you, guys. Have a great rest of your day. That was Ben Stoller, one of the elite juniors here in the state of Oklahoma, winner of the 6A state championship last year, 2021. Uh, he plays out of Owasso, committed to Kansas State, and, of course, won the big OJGT Red River shootout this past weekend down at Windstar. Appreciate him taking some time for us today. Uh, we're going to take a break, come back on the other side, and we're going to be joined by Ross Parmley, the former athletic director at Tulsa here in uh, the state of Oklahoma. Tulsa, obviously, big athletic department. Uh, a lot goes on up there, so we'll pick his brain a little bit, what it's like to be an athletic director and balance all of the moving parts that you get in that position. So everybody stay with us. Ross Parmley coming up next here on the 73rd Hole, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. When something the size of a golf ball hits your roof, you need to call McRae Roofing. McRae Roofing is Oklahoma's designer roofing service specialist. For years, Jeff McRae and the experienced team at McRae Roofing and Exteriors have served fellow Oklahomans by helping them with their roofing needs. McRae Roofing uses only top quality materials and professional crews to make sure that each job is done right so it will give you the years of service, security, and protection you need from the unpredictable Oklahoma weather. McRae Roofing offers residential and commercial roofing, ventilation services, and custom copper designs. McRae Roofing is dedicated to exceeding the homeowner's expectations. It's not just a roof, it is your home's crowning glory. Call McRae Roofing today at 405-692-4000. That's 405-692-4000. Make sure to also visit their website at McRaeRoofing.com. That's M-C-R-A-Y Roofing.com. Don't get caught with a leaking roof. Contact McRae Roofing for your free inspection today. Welcome back.
welcome back. We are rolling along here on the 73rd hole, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Head over to GolfOklahoma.org right now. Subscribe to the newsletter. Get on the email list. You can get all of uh, the latest stories out of the state of Oklahoma. Big ones today. East Lake Cup going on. Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. Bedlam for the men's championship. And then the Oklahoma State women will face Duke in the women's championship. GolfOklahoma.org to get all the information on that. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at the 73rd hole and on Instagram, 73rd hole. And while you're at it, while you're doing all this, go give Ring Family Dentistry a look. They will get you taken care of. They go out of their way to ensure all treatment is as comfortable as possible. Leading edge of technology. Same day crowns for more than 20 years. They're a uh, Oklahoma City-based private practice. All decisions are made by the patient. Doctors Phillip and Brennan Ring have a simple philosophy. Work with what they have, save what they can, and replace what they can't. While some dentists can overtreat, it is their philosophy that patients in their office should only have done what they absolutely need. If they can't show why treatment is needed, they will not prescribe it. They explain every opinion, answer any questions, and ultimately leave all decisions to the patient. That is Ring Family Dentistry. And now we want to welcome to the program the former athletic director at the University of Tulsa, Ross Parmley, joining us now on the 73rd hole. Ross, we, we appreciate you taking a few minutes for us today. How you doing? We're doing well. Thank you, guys. Excited to, to visit and uh, uh, partake in this opportunity today. Thank you. Absolutely, yeah. It's a uh, big show today. We've got Bedlam for the East Lake Cup coming up this afternoon. I know you're a Tulsa guy, but OU, OSU, East Lake Cup, does that do anything for you? You know what? I've been following it. I, I was very excited yesterday to, to see both of them pull through. I, I'm weird. I grew up an OU football fan. I grew up in a lot in Oklahoma, so I, I, I was a, I was a Barry Switzer, the King fan. But I've always been a fan of OU uh, OSU golf. So I, I'm torn on this one. Uh, I really am. Yep, Ross. Obviously, uh, we got to speak at the. Uh, at the Golf Club of Oklahoma member guest, and we just ended up at that dinner that night just talking for hours upon end, and I was like, I got to get this guy on the podcast. He's one of the most motivational guys you'll ever hear, uh, and so I got I had to give it to the listeners. But, Ross, I just wanted to start with your story. It's pretty inspiring about how you became the athletic director at Tulsa and how you never really envisioned, envisioned yourself in that role and how you uh, – you actually said something to me at that dinner that night, and you said – I just took the mindset of how do I make this place better at everywhere I went. Uh, and so just start from the beginning when you, obviously you were in Norman and, and then go to Tulsa and just kind of give us the background of that story. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. And I enjoyed those conversations with you, Sam. It was, it was a lot of fun, but yeah, I, I'm probably one of the few people that were in athletics that never had a vision to be in athletics. You know, I graduated college, had no clue what I wanted to do in life, which so many kids do, uh, now and and we all went through you know I started out teaching and coaching in Ardmore Oklahoma and 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 which ties into it because that's how I got to the University of Tulsa um but you know the thing about the, the neat thing about being in coaching is, is I think that's a, a prevalent theory I mean no matter where you go what you do make it better you know uh you know I listen to Coach McGraw's podcast every once in a while you know better than I left I mean everywhere you go if you can have that mentality that I'm going to make this place better than, than when I started. You're going to be successful. And you're going to make an impact on people. So I, I started teaching coaching in Ardmore, uh, wrestling, and, and, and did a little girls' golf and strength and conditioning for football. Uh, went to Norman for a couple of years, became an athletic director for Norman Public Schools, and I think it was late 2002. 
Um, I just graduated my sports management degree from the University of Oklahoma, which is why I went to Norman from Ardmore because I got accepted to that program. And, uh, you know, it was, it was late 2004, and I absolutely loved my job. I loved Dr. Joe Siano, the superintendent Norman, and, and the people there. Uh, just so many good things going. And got a call from a guy I coached with in Ardmore, uh, Keith Patterson. He's actually head coach at, or the, I'm sorry, the defense coordinator at Texas Tech right now. I know there's been a lot of changes there in the last 24 hours. But Keith was the head football coach at Ardmore. Um, he happened to be the college roommate of, uh, of a guy named Todd Graham, who's been a head coach at several schools. Um, you know, and, and Keith called me and said, hey, we're making a change in football operations, and uh, we want you to come up here. And – Again, I'm, I'm, I'm not even uh, – at that point in time, I got hired as AD for Norman Public School. I was still 29. I think I'm one of the only people in America that wanted to be 30 really, really badly. Uh, <laughs> we, we, we had a football coach here, Butch Peters, who, who, who would get the school longer and I'd been alive. So I was really looking forward to that 30th birthday more than, more than normal. Um, but left a very good job in Norman as, as the district athletic director. We had, you know, obviously two 6A high schools four middle schools, and, and, and a lot of youth programs. Um, and I did it um, under under two things I think are really important. One is I took a pretty good pay cut to go to Tulsa in, in the football operations position, uh, which is the administrator for football, all the, the intra-campus relations and communications, travel, logistics, summer camps, recruiting, all that stuff. Um, took a pretty good pay cut. And uh, – with the, with the thought that, you know what, if this doesn't work out, I'll just go back and be a high school athletic director. I loved it. I loved being around kids. Loved it. The impact you have as an athletic director or can't have as an athletic director. And uh, took the chance. And, you know, uh, the next year I became assistant athletic director of football operations. Bubba Cunningham, who's, who's, who's you know, my, my mentor, one of my really, really good friends. He's an athletic director at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill right, uh, Chapel Hill right now. Um, he kind of took me under his wing and uh, moved, to, moved out of football after that second year, became a, the associate and senior associate athletic director, uh, got more and more responsibilities. Um, I got all the fun jobs at that point. I got to deal with, with uh, you know, the high-maintenance coaches at, at times and, and, <laughs> and the ones Bubba didn't want to deal with. Uh, I, I know most, most of your listeners won't think coaches are high-maintenance, but uh, in general, yeah, they're, they're very high-maintenance, but <laughs> – so, you know, it kind of happened. Yeah, and, and so um, very thankful for the opportunities. And, and, uh, but, it, but it wasn't planned. It was, it was coming to work every day, doing the very best you can do, having great relationships with people, and, and asking yourself that question you m- mentioned earlier, Sam, how do we make this better? Well, what can we do to make it better? And, um, you know, it, it kind of gets into, I think, one of the important things of all leadership is, is servant leadership. And, you know, in college athletics or even high school athletics, you know, it's perpetual because, you know, it's not a business you're trying to build and then sell and reap the rewards of the value. It is a coach comes in, leaves, you start the whole process. Oh, what does this coach need? How do I make this process better for him? What, what does he need to be successful? Well, you know, student athletes are just coming and going. How do I make this experience good for them? And, and it really helps you understand and create that mindset of, of, of per, uh, perpetual servant leadership. And I'm always doing something in, in, in that role to help others, help them enjoy their experience and what they need to be successful. Ross, what would you say are the, the biggest differences that change for job duty wise between going from high school athletic director to a college athletic director? 
Oh, that's a great question. Um, well, I, I kind of joked earlier about the high maintenance of coaches, but 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 seriously, there, there's a certain degree of a of a, uh, of high maintenance that that extends when the college athletics. And, and I think the other the other really important thing is um, the, the media. I mean, you're so much there's so much visibility and, and, and transparency right now, and, and, and the way the media or even even ten years ago, I know it's changed a lot in the last ten years, um, but everything's under the microscope. Everything you say, everything you do, every situation that's handled, um, you know, it, it's second guessed, it's questioned. Um, and it's hard to stay ahead of it. You know, we, I think one of the things you learn in athletics, especially college athletics is, is, is messaging, you know, always trying, always trying to be in control of the message, always trying to, uh, you, you know, brand, uh, be in control of your brand and what you're saying and what you're doing, but it's hard right now. I mean, I know it's hard now. It's hard then. Um, there's just so much more visibility and so much awareness and, and so much more interaction that, uh, you know, everybody wants to be proactive, but, you know, at times you, you, you can get reactive really easily. Yeah, absolutely. And Ross, I was I was one of those talking heads, did radio for several years. And, you know, you've got all this content to fill and stuff happens and everybody reacts and yeah. you react quick. And a lot of times, you know, people are reacting without the full information. So, you know, how much of that as an athletic director at that level, at the collegiate level, how much of that did you consume? How much of that was told to you from someone else? And, you know, once a story started kind of spiraling and you feel like you didn't have control of it, what did y'all do to kind of... Uh, you, you know, try to make sure that you were putting your athletic department in the best situation possible to be successful and to have the right image that you wanted it to have. Yeah, you know, that, 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 that's a super question because here's the deal. Um, you know, going into when I was in Norman and Ardmore, and getting into, you know, I listened to sports radio, did all that, because uh, I really didn't know. And then when you get into athletics, and I'll, I'll just use a couple examples. You know, when you go through, we went through uh, – uh, when Steve Craigdorf left to go to Louisville, we went to a coaching hire. He's up hiring Todd Graham. Uh, when Todd left uh, later, uh, um, we ended up hiring uh, – I wasn't the AD yet, but I was in the number two position. We ended up hiring Bill Blankenship. You know, I made the change as, as athletic director. Uh, we let Doug Wojcik go, and, and I hired Danny Manning. Um, you know, so you go through all these experiences and I was a big fan and, and I hope I'm not upsetting anybody. It's certainly not the intentions. It's just to help relate the experience. I was a big fan of sports radio and listened to it. You go through those, you hear a little bit because you want to, you kind of want to know what's being said. You know, you, you know, it's, 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 it's keep your enemy closer than, than, than your friends kind of mentality. So you, you want to know what's going on. Um, and you go through those processes, you know, and, and, and the college athletics world is, is too reliant on search firms, and, and, and that's a whole nother deal. But uh, you do that because Open Records Act, communication, things like that, you, you want to take your, you know, your, your exposure out of it. Um, but when you hear the stories, you hear the comments, you hear the things people are talking about, and when you realize the percent of truth in some of those, are really, really low. I was hearing things when we made a change with, with uh, Woj, Coach Wojcik and, and that process. I was hearing names. I was hearing things that weren't even close to being true, <laughs> weren't even on the radar. And I'm like, really? And so you get a different perspective of it. And I understand the the, 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 fa- the, the passion. I understand the, the feel and the time. And, and it's, you know, it's, it's good entertainment. 
but I just think there's a lot of people out there that take that, you know, kind of kind of set it in stone, like, oh, here's what they're doing, and, and you're doing so much that's really not there. And so when you're on that side of it, it, it it's challenging to go through, but I think it's necessary because, again, you, you need to know what's going on in, in, the, in the world, and you need to know if you need to step in and, and do some damage control or – or you know, reshuffle that that image or brand or news that's out there to help it getting help it from getting too far down the road. Ross, when I asked you the other night what an athletic director does, obviously you know there's the obvious to what an <laughs> athletic director does. I, I found it yeah. funny your answer, and you said just putting out fires and and just tell yeah. me a little bit, expand on that a little bit, and just tell me you know what are some of those fires that people might not realize that an athletic athletic director has to deal with yeah you know i just think there's so many misconceptions uh about what an ad does i mean everybody's aware of game day right uh you know everybody's everybody's aware of football and basketball game days and and, and they think that's so much the job and really it's a small piece of your job um you know it, it, it it's the job is a lot harder than most people think um, you know, there, there's so much, you know, so much more than, than, than the games that go on. But uh, I think, it's, you know, all the things that come up from coaches issues, recruiting issues, um, intra-campus issues. I mean, and, 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 you know, my experience is at a small private school where you probably have more of those than other places. But, um, you know, athletes in class having issues, professors, you know, deans, you know, that, that aren't supportive of athletics, what's going on there and, and, and as you continue to put, you know, any good leader is always pushing for change, right? You're always pushing to make things better for those around you and those that you're, you're serving as a leader. And with change comes problems. And, you know, if, if, if communication is not great and, and, and people aren't supportive of your changes on, on a campus, and, and again, you know, a lot of campuses, there, there's a lot of people on a lot of college campuses that aren't supportive of college athletics. You know, there, there's actually – um, I think a lot that, that you know, or, uh, you know, don't want college athletics to be successful, don't want, co- don't want college athletics to be a part of the university. And so those fires come up all the time. You've got, you know, donor issues, didn't have a good experience at an event. You've got student athlete issues, um, you know, co- coaches pushing for things. Um, it's, it's, there's always, you know, there, there, there's, there's building facility issues that come up. Um, the, 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 you know, I, I always joke that, you know, I, I always feel like I've always had a little bit of ADD. It probably helps you be successful because <laughs> you're always really to float from one thing to another and not get too tight into something. So you, you kind of kind of take a negative turn into a positive there. Yeah, and one of those fires that they have to put out or one of the problems that they have to deal with is funding for the smaller sports. Yeah. And so just tell yeah. me a little bit about funding for smaller sports and um, not just the fundraising part of it, but tell the people how much – like these universities are losing per year on these sports and, and the funding aspect of it. And then also said kind of ballpark number, how much they're actually losing on these sports. Yeah. You know, um, it would probably be hard to, to tie it into a certain number, but, but, you know, every athletic director out there wants every sport to be successful. You know, the, the visibility and, and, and notoriety comes with, with, with the big sports. Um, you know, we, we see that, you know, maybe with some, some uh, inadequacies with NLI stuff going on now and things like that. Um, 
you know, the, the, the thing to too remember is most of the smaller sports um, are on proportional scholarships. You know, you've got full headcount scholarships, football, basketball, women's volleyball, things like that. And you've got forces. So a lot of these athletes are only getting um, a percentage of, of scholarships to go to school. And, and, and yes, a lot of time into academics and things. But, um, you know, let, let, let's take, I mean, let, let, so this is a golf podcast. Let's talk about it. I mean, you've got coaching salaries. You've got travel. You know, you've got facility rentals. You've got equipment. You've got all this stuff that can, you know, get into a lot of times for a year you know, well, well over half a million dollars with absolutely zero revenue. And so you talk about football, the importance of football and basketball, uh, you know, uh, the, the revenue generation sports, you know, supporting those, um, you know, it, it's a real issue. Um, you know, my, my biggest heartache with my situation at TU, uh, you know, not only from a family perspective, but uh, and what I went through, but you know, one of my biggest, you know, you know, grievances is, is 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 the result of what happened with the men's golf program. You know, down the road, um, because if I would have been there at that time, there's no way in heck we would have let that golf program. It was too good. It was too important. It's too much part of the community. Too much part of the school. Um, Ross and I and I wanted to make but, it clear to our listeners that you weren't the athletic director when that when that happened. You were the athletic director before I got there, and I just wanted to ask the yeah, question this yeah. way. I mean. Um, obviously you were from the outside looking in, but from an athletic director's perspective, because I have a player's perspective from an athletic director's perspective, what did you see that happened in that situation at Tulsa? Um, well, I hope I don't get in trouble for saying this, but I, I think the university or the athletic department took the easy way out. Um, I think there's support to support that program. I kind of knew what was going on behind the scenes. Uh, it was bad timing. I think Coach Brogdon, who had been there for, for, for years and had a lot of success, was nearing retirement. Um, I think, uh, you know, again, I think, that, you know, in my opinion, and, and you know, again, I hope I don't get in trouble for it, but uh, I think the, the university and athletic department at that time took the easy way out, cut it, and uh, not, not had to deal with, you know, the, those expenses and go through that process. And, it was at an unfortunate time with uh, with the nearing of Coach Brogdon's retirement that probably accelerated that. Yeah, and we they, they didn't ha- they didn't have anybody fighting for the program. That's the problem. Right, right, and we appreciate your your honesty with that. And you know, as an athletic director, tough things arise, and these are things that I'm sure um, some of the people who are involved lost sleep over. And these are difficult decisions to make. Uh, you, you know, you said whenever you were there, you want every sport to be successful, and you would have fought for that program. And so, whenever you saw that happen uh, after your time and coming gone as the AD there, I mean, you're looking back at that and you're thinking, uh, I mean, what are you thinking in that moment? Like, uh, you know, that's one of my programs that I oversaw. And now it's gone. I mean, what, what were you thinking in that moment? Well, um, to, to, to be very transparent, and very honest, I mean, it hurt. It hurt because I felt like my situation had something to do with that. Um, if, you know, if I'm being honest with myself, I felt, I felt like I had ownership of that program being gone because um, if I'd have been there, I don't think it, I know it wouldn't have happened. You know, you, you can – Look, in life, we can all find ways to get rid of something or we can find ways to make something successful, right? And what was done to make that program stick around and continue to be successful? My answer that w- with the limited knowledge, I know nothing. 
And so without that being done, it's easy to get rid of that program. And it hurts. I mean, you know, some of my best memories at TU, you know, I went with the women's golf program to Mexico to a big tournament. You know, I remember going, I think it was, uh, I don't know if it's 2011, 2012, I went to the NCAA championships at Riviera Country Club, Los Angeles. I mean, those memories and seeing those kids compete and, um, uh, you know, it was just, it's just fascinating memories. And, uh, you know, with me being a golfer and playing golf in, in, in my past, I mean, th- those were awesome experiences. And, you know, they're just as relevant as a football game on Saturday because it's, it, it matters so much to those kids. And again, if we talk about, you know, um, you know, b- being a servant leader, we talk about, you know, trying to do what's best for, for, for all the kids. You know, that's the biggest challenge, I think, of an athletic director is not just getting so focused on football and basketball because the cross-country kids, the, the, the volleyball, the rowing, the golf, just, I mean, in those experiences they have at your university are just as important as the football, just as important as basketball. And I think the ADs, you use Joe Castiglione and, 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 you know, the success they've had in other programs, you know, and, and, and Bubba Cunningham, North Carolina, you know, again, I, I mentioned earlier, you know, very good friend and one of my mentors, you know, throughout my career. They're good at many programs. They put a lot of focus and, and, you know, you talk about not knowing what an athletic director does, you know, the time that you spend at those events and supporting those, it's so much, it's so visible. It's so important. And, and I would argue, it probably means more to that golf tournament you go to, that, that tennis match you go to, the, the, the lacrosse game, whatever. It probably means more to those athletes than it does the football athlete. And that's when you really have an impact in your university. It's really how you can kind of help, you know, build a, a common theme or spirit uh, within your department. Yeah, I remember driving in my truck listening to uh, Sam's dad uh, whenever the news broke about the Tulsa program. Um, being cut and it was one of the darkest days in sports in Oklahoma that I can remember and yeah. uh, so let's talk about something a little more a little bit more positive Ross or at least I hope it's yeah. a little bit more positive um, <laughs> give us a story about your golf game and your golf story how'd you get started in the game what's your handicap what's your golf game like all that stuff okay well again I grew up in lot and, and uh, you know my dad had played a lot of golf before I was born and quit playing doing stuff and I remember this to the day I was a seventh grader at Lawton, Lawton MacArthur and I started for the ninth grade team in baseball. And that summer I started playing golf and uh, never picked up a baseball glove or bat again in my life and just got so addicted to it that um, ended up joining Lawton Country Club. My mom worked, oh, a couple blocks from where the country club was. She would take me in the morning, drop me off, and my dad would come out after work and hit balls. I'd basically spend my summers out there from – eight o'clock in the morning till dark. And uh, it, it was such a great experience and great memories and have so many good friends that grew up doing that. Um, played golf in high school, wrestled, played golf in high school, loved it. Um, tried to play a little bit in college or at Cameron. I, I was on a presidential leaders, university scholars. So tried to walk on and play a little bit. Realized I wasn't good enough to play at that level or the commitment to it. Um, and it just always been a part of my life. I, when I, when I was coaching at Ardmore High School, uh, ended up coaching women's golf for a couple of years. It was so much fun. Coached the high school team at Norman High School my first year in Norman as I was going through my master's program. I mean, we had a really good team, a lot of good players, so much fun. And then, uh, you know, when, when I was at CU, it became a lot of a job. I got to go play a lot with donors, people, and, and enjoyed it. Now I don't play quite as much. I think my index right now, I think it's five, which is pretty good because uh, – 
uh, it can help in some of those member guests, Sam, you know, you know, you know how important that is. And, uh, uh, but, but it's not too far off, uh, at all. I tell you the one failure I've had in golf that that's really important is I have not successfully got my kids involved in golf. I have tried. I've got my daughter turned 18 yesterday and, um, she is so talented. She would go play when we were at members at the golf club of Oklahoma and, and loved it and was really good, but she didn't want to play. My son's a, an eighth grader. He goes out and we're at the Oaks now uh, here in Tulsa and, uh, goes out and play. He'll play five, nine holes and, you know, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of enough for him. And so I, I my, one of my big failures in golf is not getting my kids involved and active enough somehow. <laughs> so, uh, I challenge all those parents and young kids stay after it, you know, uh, it, it's got to be worth every cent of it. <laughs> Ross, you mentioned golf, and obviously, just real quick, back to the athletic director thing, golf and kind of playing golf with uh, the donors is kind of part of the job and kind of appeasing to the donors. Tell the listeners a little bit about that. They might not realize all the things that, you know, an athletic director has to do in that sense. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I had a chance to play golf, you know, especially in a small school like Tulsa. Uh, it's probably more important. Um, had a lot, lot of events, a lot of Fridays, a lot, a lot of things to do. Um, and you know, well, what, what other chance do you get to hang out with somebody, build a relationship for you know for four hours, and and talk and and and, and see each other in competition and and how you respond to good things, how you respond to adversity. Um, it, it was fantastic. I'll, I'll tell you what, one of the one of the most fun things we did at Tulsa that, re, uh, that relates to golf is we, uh, uh, <laughs> we started this deal when Bubba was there. Uh, it was kind of my, my brainchild and Bubba supported. We caught, we had a, a golf uh, tournament every year between the administration of the athletic administration and the, and the head coaches. <laughs> and we called, we called it the slappy cup. <laughs> Cause everybody's a bunch of slappies out there trying to play golf. It was really funny. We, we, we took an uh, old trophy and had it mounted. We used to do it out. At, we did it out at Indian Springs Country Club, and it was a it was kind of a Ryder Cup style uh, deal. And and I, I talked to I've talked to two coaches that are still there in the last month. And every time I see somebody, I have to they always bring that up. I mean, those, those relationships, that competing together, having fun, it meant the world to that department. That's probably why that department when we were there was so close and so tied in, so supportive of each other with those events and use golf as the avenue to be able to do all that. All right. Administration or coaches who was running the course? Oh, admin won all the time. I mean, we, we dominated. <laughs> it, it wasn't close. I love now, it. It was real strategic. You, you got to get the, uh, the admin matched up with two golf coaches pretty accurately, or, or you could be in trouble. <laughs> no doubt about it. No doubt about it. Hey, but, but I think we'd all agree, right? If the coaches are winning, something's going wrong in the programs, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, Ross, what's the nicest golf course you've gotten to play as a result of being with some donors or just in general? What's the nicest golf course you've gotten to play? The nicest? Well, I've, I've played Whistling Straits, but that was not mm-hmm. with, with, with a donor. Um, I was out at tennis tournament, got to play Torrey Pines. Uh, uh, I was out there with, with university, uh, the men's tennis team. Um, you know, th- those are two of probably the more popular ones. Uh, I, I tell you, I, I'm a big fan. I've played a lot of golf at, at the golf club of Oklahoma uh, with, with donors and people. That, that place is absolutely fantastic. And then obviously, you know, everybody wants to play Southern Hills and an opportunity to play that, you know, multiple times is uh, – 
uh, it's certainly special. And, and, you know, with donors, you've got a lot of donors that are out there, and uh, those, those are always meaningful uh, as well. But, you know, th- those, are, those four courses right there, I could play every day the rest of my life. Uh, yeah, that'd be a pretty good golf life, Ross. No doubt yeah, about it. Yeah. That'd be a pretty good pretty golf good. life. Uh, <laughs> just transitioning back to kind of some athletic director stuff. I'm curious, so much about college athletics over the last 10 to 15 years is conference realignment talks. And everybody yeah. talks about what's happened with OU and OSU. And OU and Texas are going to the SEC and all this stuff. And what a lot of people don't really consider is the ripple effect that happens whenever Cincinnati and UCF leave their conference and bolt whenever some of these other schools leave to go to the American. How much of that did you have to deal with? Uh, and how much of that is kind of a, a very real factor of what athletic directors have to deal with and has a very serious financial implication on the school? Well, it does. Um, so when I was at TU, I know we moved. They, they had just moved uh, prior to my arrival. I can't remember if it was a year or a couple of years. Uh, from the WAC to Conference USA. So when I was there, we were in Conference USA. Um, and when I was athletic director through my time there, there was already a lot of talks going on about the American Athletic Conference and, and, and what, what might be, you know, conference alignment was already a big topic then. Um, you know, so as, as presidents and athletic directors in your conference, you're always, you're, you're constantly, your quarterly, you're, you know, quarterly meetings, your, your annual meeting in the summers, you're always talking about strategy. You're, you're always focused on the vision, the vision of how, how do we make our conference better. And, you know, the, the, uh, the reality is it's all driven by television revenue, right? Um, you know, Cincinnati's a good TV market. Houston's a good TV market. Tulsa, when we were there, you know, we, we, we didn't have as much bargaining power because of our market. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, being good, you know, having good programs, having this, you know, helps. But, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, I, I'm interested to see what happens to the Big 12. If, if, if OU and Texas don't leave after this year, if you're splitting that pie in more ways, that affects every school negatively. So, um, you know, it, 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 you know, I think the, the, the get for BYU and the Big 12 is good because that, that is a major brand and, and has very good television revenue opportunities. So, um I think a lot of people think it's a little bit more about the school and their programs um, when reality, um, you know, every athletic director, every, you know, every president who, who's ultimately signing off a deal wants more, more revenue to help support the program. Because, you know, let, let's look at the difference in OU and TU. OU is, is, is self-supporting their programs at, at TU and, and, and most schools. I mean, there, there's only a you know, dozen or so that, that are actually possible at the most, but at TU, I mean, you're, you're relying on the university for, oh, uh, you know, 50% of your budget. Right. And so, and so that, that president and, and what you're getting from the conference matters more to the smaller schools, um, you know, probably that does know you. I mean, it's great for OU and it's important, but when, when you're, you know, when you've got a, uh, you know, let's just round off numbers for, for easy math. When you got a $30 million athletic budget or a $50 million athletic budget and you're bringing in, you know, either $15 million or $20 million, who offsets that? It's the university. So that, that, that's why the presidents are involved, and that's why that, that television revenue and the conference realignment is so important to so many of the small schools because you're, you're not, you know, if it was a true business all by itself, you'd be out of business. 
Yeah, kind of on that same note, Ross, uh, one thing that us three gentlemen at this table share in common is that our hatred for the NCAA. <laughs> so what is it like <laughs> being on the front rows and having to deal with the NCAA? What are some things that you, uh, I guess, don't like about them or what, what are some things that they actually do right that the outside may not see? You know, uh, I, I'm, I'm not a big fan either. And, and not, 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 not because of my, my situation. Um, I just think there's a lot of inconsistencies um, I, you know, w- when I was in the business and teaching, coaching and, and involved in that, you know, my mentality was so pro student athlete. Um, I don't think what they do is always pro student athlete. I think it gets tied, tied up in some bureaucracy and, and things like that, which just don't make sense. I mean, um, you know, I, I, I don't know what the future of the NCAA is. Um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised in the future to have some, you know, if, if there's not a break off and some things and, uh, but, you know, the, the world of sport and college athletics has evolved so much over the last, you know, you know since, especially since the TV deal with Oklahoma back in the 80s. I mean, it's evolved so much over the last 25, 30 years that I don't think, you know, I'm, I'm not so sure there's not a future involvement in the next five or 10 years that, that really separates it. But uh, bottom line, not, not a fan of NCAA, um, you know, it, 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 they, they, they state themselves as a, as a member institution of universities that, um, you know, I, I just don't think support the universities. I think they support the universities. I don't think they support student-athletes in the appropriate manner. And, and the job should be to support student-athletes, not the universities. Ross, thank you so much for coming on today. And also, just tell the people what you're doing nowadays. Obviously, the president <laughs> of a uh, great company, R.L. Hudson, just tell everybody what you're doing there. Yeah, I, I started with Arnold Hudson in April of 2013 as, as vice president of sales and marketing and, and moved into president role in, in, in 2019. And uh, just, you know, we, we do a lot of custom molding manufacturing, uh, you know, rubber molding, uh, plastic molding, you know, get, get to deal every day with customers like Mercury Marine, Flares, Volvo Cummins, which sounds good on the outside, but, man, they're bullies. A lot, a lot, you know, it's it's kind of like working with head coaches I always talk about, you know. <laughs> um, uh, you know, so it, it, it's good. It, it's been good. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, the, the time it's allowed me being out of athletics since I spent so much more time with my family than I ever have, even at Norman, even at TU, there's so many, and people don't understand the number of events, the time commitment it takes at, at those, uh, to be in athletics and be successful in athletics. So I traveled a lot more, but I'm home a lot more. And as a dad and, and, and as a husband who, who really cares about my family and, and, and my, my, my marriage, um, it's allowed me to, 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 to be involved in that, it's allowed me to coach my kids in sports and, 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 and attir- uh, attend all the events that are really important. And uh, my daughter turned 18 yesterday. So, you know, th- those things are just, you know, it, it's kind of offset of being out of athletics that, um, you know, the, the things you get, you don't realize when you're in it how, how time-consuming athletics. You know, anybody wants to be in athletics, first thing I tell you is you got to understand the time commitment. It, it is it – is, almost unrealistic if, if, if you want to be successful if you want to support the other programs and, and do all the things it takes it's uh it's a challenge i mean you get out of it and you kind of realize what you do you're like wow i was doing all that that's amazing you know and and, and the time coaches spend football coaches and basketball coaches um it, it's a real commitment and at some point it, it you know you, you you lose the time with your family to, to do that and you got to decide whether that's worth it or not for you for a lot of people it is and for some, it's you look back and go, God, you know, I probably shouldn't have done that, or I'm glad I'm not doing it anymore. 
Ross, we appreciate you letting us pick your brain today and all the great stories you've told us. Uh, member guest season will be back around before you know it. Go get that index up. I love it, man. Hey, thank you guys. Enjoy you, and uh, have a great day. Absolutely. Yep. Thank, thank you, you so much, Ross. Appreciate it. See you. Uh, it's Ross Parmley, former athletic director at University of Tulsa, joining us here on the 73rd hole. Uh, fellas, East Lake Cup this afternoon. Maury Rose coming up on Friday here on the 73rd hole. I won't be there for that one, but y'all are going to talk to Maury uh, later today, tomorrow, whenever Maury's available. Then we'll get that out to everybody on Friday. So, uh, great golf. OUOSU, Bedlam. I can't wait. Bedlam at it's East Lake. It's going to be good stuff. Did anyone take you up on your pizza bet? I had a few people take me up on Twitter. Oh, no. Y'all didn't take me up, though. No, I didn't. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out how the the pizza bets work in terms of karma for the team that Sam's betting on if the pizza bet's not made on the show. I'm trying to figure out how that works. Because Sam's over on pizza bets on the show. I've, I've won a couple. Of pizza bets? I think. On the show, have I? Have you bought a pizza since Sam started the show? No, I think, I think Sam won one because um, I had... Couple one, in the uh, bank uh, in the oh, in the okay. Ryder Cup, he had like one of them okay, or something yeah, yeah, like yeah. that. So okay, yeah, because y'all made like four or five pizza yeah. bets for the Ryder Cup. Yeah, I still got two credit by the way. <laughs> just, just saying, Taylor's got the credit book. He's waiting to cash it out at the end of the year. <laughs> yeah, is it like shop credit where I have to use it by December thirty first, or I don't have it? Yeah, use what? it or I, lose it. I bought the pizzas at the uh, Halloween party. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's uh, that, yeah. There, there was not only did we have the nugs, but I specifically brought. Three pizzas just to pay off my bets. Well, there you go. Well, there it is. I thought I, I thought I was supposed to get the hideaway. It was Pizza Hut. We can do hideaway too. I mean, I want to. I'm sure Sam will lose another pizza bet between now and the end of the year. <laughs> Let's be real. Let's just say there were other things that happened that evening as to why I did not remember the pizza. <laughs> oh man, there's a really good video that we should post on Twitter, but we won't. No. <laughs> uh, all right, good stuff. Thanks everybody for listening. Thanks to our guest Ben Stoller, one of the best players in the state of Oklahoma at the junior level, headed to Kansas State. Big shout out to Ross Parmley as well, former athletic director at TU. Some great stories and some great insight into what that job and what that life is like. So we appreciate everyone listening. Good luck to uh, Oklahoma State men's and women's, Oklahoma men's this afternoon. Good luck to all the local guys down at the Bermuda Championship. We will have a big recap of the Bermuda Championship coming your way next week. Just an absolutely elite event on the PGA Tour calendar. Thanks, everybody, for listening once again to the 73rd Hole, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma.